Welcome to the Hertie School of Governance. The Hertie School. Hertie School. Berlin needs a globally visible public policy school. As a school of governance, we see our mission in fostering these important discussions. You're listening to a podcast brought to you by the Hertie School of Governance in Berlin. I cannot imagine a better laudation, no matter who could have given it. You taught me things that I didn't know about my own career. And on a very short notice, so I, I thank you uh, and salute you, Professor Enderlein. And it means a great deal to me to be the uh, Endress Prize laureate. To begin with, I like the term laureate. Normally you see Nobel laureate. Well, I think Endress laureate is a wonderful title. And it, it is particularly meaningful to me to receive this award at the Hertie School. I was actually involved in the founding of the Hertie School as a new dean uh, and a former law professor, but new dean at Princeton's Woodrow Wilson School. And there were a group of us assembled in 2002 to talk about what the Hertie School should be. I I was there, John Ruggie, who had been dean at Columbia and then was at Harvard, was there, and a number of other people. And what I remember particularly was the discussion of the title. And should it be the Hertie School of Public Policy, or the Wilson School was Public and International Affairs, the Kennedy School was the uh, school of, is the School of Government. And we debated this, and we debated what this school should be in a world in which government was important, but was very clearly not the only actor in the global system, precisely the subject that I wrote uh, The Chessboard and the Web about. And so we talked about it, and of course, the Hertie School is the school of governance. And that distinction is very important, because that distinction says all of you can work in government, but you can work in the private sector or the civic sector. We need all three of those sectors to solve our public problems. So you are the School of Governance, and I find it quite wonderful to receive an award like this here. And indeed, in many ways, my lecture on the new practice of public problem solving builds on that foundation. It assumes a world in which we have governments but also corporate and civic actors, and civic actors of many different kinds, from churches to NGOs to universities, solving public problems. But before I talk about the new practice, I have to describe the old practice. And of course, things never quite worked perfectly this way, but when I came of age, and when I studied public policy, the assumption was to make public policy, you have research and analysis, and then some people diagnose the problem and they formulate a solution, and they write that solution up in a white paper or some kind of report, and then people in government read that report, or you you go and you talk to them about it, and you convince those people in government, either in the legislature or uh, in the executive, to adopt your solution, and then a regulation or a law is passed, and then that regulation or law is implemented. This all takes quite a long time, And once it's implemented, you discover the unintended consequences of your brilliant solution, and you have to start the whole process over again to amend uh, the policy, the law, the regulation uh, to solve that problem. 
Now again, it never worked perfectly, but that's the paradigm of public problem solving that many of us who came of age and have worked in the 20th century assume when we talk about public problem solving. It is uh, the assumption of a very large role for government, which at least in the United States, and a lesser extent in Europe, is an artifact of the second half of the 20th century. It's an artifact of the Great Depression, of the social welfare state that was built in Europe and the United States, where you look first to government to solve your problems, and big government, and government policy. So against that backdrop, I want to describe a new practice of public problem solving. And let me be clear, this is not an argument against government in any way. The practice I'm going to describe is being carried out in small parts of the US government and the British government and probably the German government. So it is a practice that government can engage in from the top down but also, and critically, a practice that civic organizations and social entrepreneurs can practice from the bottom up. So if we take that as a backdrop, here are the five elements, not the eight, only the five, and they don't all have the same letter, even <laughs> G or J, judicialization was very clever. Uh, they're five. The new practice is people-centered, inclusive, experimental, data-enabled, and connected. And I'm going to go through each one of those briefly. So people-centered. Many of you will know of human-centered design. It is a fad in many places. It is well-known uh, in, in the United States. It comes out of Silicon Valley, and specifically uh, the design school at Stanford, although that is not, uh, there are European roots of it as well, but the Stanford De Design School has uh, popularized it, and it essentially means you put the actual people who are experiencing whatever you decide a problem is, and you ask them how they see the problem and what they need as a solution. It actually sounds pretty commonsensical, but it is not the way government often functions. Uh, so by putting people at the center, you get a very different perspective, and I'll give you two examples. One is from a woman named Marina Martin, who was the chief technological officer of the Veterans Administration in the United States. And the Veterans Administration addresses the needs of millions of veterans. And they, there were 66 different programs for getting veterans benefits. How did she demonstrate this? She brought in a veteran, and she put him at a computer that had only limited bandwidth, and she asked him to demonstrate how he would access benefits in front of a group of the highest officials in the Veterans Administration. Well, obviously, it is nearly impossible. And when you see that, and you see the person at the center, suddenly bureaucratic politics and, and the demands of, of your government have a different, they fall away. You suddenly realize, wait a minute, the most important thing we can do is create one portal and make it easily accessible based even for people who are accessing on their phones or limited bandwidth. Another example is homelessness, which is a, an issue that many of us are struggling with in many cities in the United States. It is a terrible problem. The organizations that have, have done the best with homelessness do not define it as a problem of not having a house. They bring together 
people who don't have houses, but ask them what they need. And what they need often is mental health care or a, a way to get a job or help with their families. That often the, they, we can get them a house, but not by building a house or renting an apartment. It is a much more complicated problem, and you put the people who are affected at the center. So the new practice starts with the people who are at the heart of the problem. The second dimension is that the new practice is inclusive. And what I mean by this is that instead of sitting in capitals, and I work in Washington, and here we are in Berlin, thinking up solutions. I've spent much of my life developing new ideas uh, and being rewarded for those ideas or synthesizing them. But instead of doing that, you scout first. You, you start from the premise that somebody somewhere in your country has figured out a solution. And you need to find that solution. That person probably understands, or that organization, more than you do about the problem. So you start by scouting. Uh, and it is an attitude of considerable humility. It doesn't mean you don't have anything to bring to the process of public problem solving, but you start by looking for the solutions that have already uh, been developed. A number of foundations in the United States are now actively promoting the idea uh, that you scout first. Uh, the, I just had a conversation with the head of the Gates Foundation who said that that humility of looking to the insights of the people on the ground is becoming an important part of their work. The third dimension, the new practice is experimental. Now here, this again comes out of the software industry, the idea that you start by developing what they call the minimum viable product, whatever will work, and then instead of improving and improving it, you put it out there, beta testing, and you let your users tell you what's wrong with it. Now we all know about this because when our phones are updated, the smart people among us know never to click on that update until at least a million other users have, and Apple or whoever owns your phone has figured out all those bugs. Do not be the first. But this applies to public policy as well. And again, there are parts of the United States government, the US Digital Service, the Digital Service in Britain, that have pioneered this idea of developing a software or an approach to a problem putting it out there, and then figuring out what isn't working. So you don't wait until you've passed the law or adopted the regulation to find the bugs. You do it in advance. The US Census Bureau is running experiments on the use of data uh, to make data available to a larger number of people using uh, this model. Uh, and indeed, the, uh, a coalition uh, that represents uh, domestic workers in the United States is pioneering software that allow people to provide benefits to those workers. And again, they're putting it out there. They've tested it with lots of different domestic workers. Uh, and then as it gets stronger, they will build it up. So people-centered, inclusive, uh, and experimental. The fourth element is data enabled. Now this should not surprise you. Anybody who is thinking about solving public problems who is not integrating data science is living in the wrong century. Uh, this is really how we have to go forward. Uh, and my example here comes from the crisis of healthcare.gov. If you may remember, if you're Americans, you certainly remember, others may have observed, 
President Obama passes healthcare and he rolls out healthcare.gov, the website that everybody is going to sign up for his new healthcare program on, and of course it is a disaster. It crashes immediately, you have all these people trying to figure it out, and, and they're in an endless loop of the, the website is down. So the president uh, basically says fix the website. But the problem was the engineers couldn't fix the website because they had no data about what was going wrong and where. They didn't know whether it was when you got on, whether you tried to get to a specific policy, whether you went through to try to pay. They had no streams of data. Why? Many different contractors had been involved in building the website. There was nothing interoperable. It was like flying a plane without a dashboard of instruments. Right? You didn't know your fuel, you didn't know what direction you were going, you had no information. So going forward, it, it's critical to, to have those streams of data. And with healthcare.gov, the, the chief technology officer of Health and Human Services said later, if I'd been involved from the beginning, we wouldn't, just have, ha we wouldn't have had a better website we would have never had one website in the first place. I would have designed the entire system very differently. We need engineers, technologists, data scientists at our policy tables, and we need to be designing solutions to problems that assume we'll have streams of data that allow us to improve those solutions. And finally, the new practice designs for connection. Now, you have just heard that I wrote a book it was subtitled Strategies of Connection for a Networked World. You're not going to be surprised to hear that I think whom you connect and how is critically important for solving public problems. Now again, this assumes a world in which government, civic, and corporate actors all play a role. So if you're in government and you're designing a, a, a solution to a big problem, you need to think about implementation right away. It's extraordinary how many policies, things like paid leave or supplemental nutrition, again, using the United States as an example, the law's on the book, books, but only 30 to 40% of people actually get those benefits. They, the, the laws are not implemented. They do not reach the people they are supposed to serve. So you need to think about whom do you have to connect to, state or local government, and how are you going to do that? All the service providers, the charities, the non-governmental organizations, in some cases getting business involved if it's an employment issue. You need to think about whom you're connecting, what's your implementation network before you, or as part of, solving the problem. And similarly, there are lots of non-governmental organizations and increasingly social enterprise that are doing great work, but none of them are going to get to scale on their own. It's the holy grail you think, you know, you're going to be the Google of social enterprise. Even if you reach, you know, hundreds of thousands of people, that's a drop in the bucket. Only government can really make that kind of change at scale. There's a, a well-known organization trying to improve health care by looking at the social determinants of health. In other words, older people in the summer could probably use an air conditioner. That will, would prevent emergency room trips rather than treating them once they come into the emergency room. They pioneered this approach, but only once the Department of Health and Human Services picked it up did you really start getting, rolling it out, and testing it uh, at scale. 
So if you're a social enterprise or a philanthropist or a civic organization, you need to think about how are you going to create a network that maybe involves government, but also involves lots of fellow organizations to push in the same direction and have common goals at scale. That's the new practice of public problem solving. Once again, it's people-centered, it's inclusive, it's experimental, it's data-enabled, and it's connected. It is happening now. It's just not happening broadly enough. It clearly does suggest what we should be teaching in schools like this one and what we should be doing in think tanks like my own. Uh, it is not an approach that works for all problems. There are problems that are still purely policy problems. I would offer you the example of whether the internet should be neutral or not, net neutrality. That's not something you're going to test on the ground in Frankfurt. That's something you're going to decide uh, at the federal government level. And there's still politics, right? This new practice does not avoid politics, but it does by testing on the ground. It works out a lot of the politics in advance. And indeed, the Stiftung Neue Verantwortung here in, in Berlin uh, is practicing a sort of collaborative approach to policy that brings stakeholders together and tests things before actually recommending uh, a, a policy. But the, at the core, the new practice asks a fundamental question. Does your policy or your solution, because not all solutions are policies, does your policy or solution work for the people it is intended to serve? Not can you get it past the legislature, not does it fit the needs of the bureaucracy, but does it serve the people it is intended to serve? And the only way to answer that question is to get much closer to those people in real time with a solution that can be tested and adapted as you figure out what does and does not work. And if you approach those problems with an attitude of humility, utility, and adaptability. The Hertie School, the Hertie School of Governance, not government, is the ideal place to think about elements of this new practice and to go forward educating all of you for jobs in multiple sectors armed with a, not just being policymakers or policy analysts, but public problem solvers. Uh, so I couldn't be happier uh, to be able to receive this award and to talk about what I hope all of us will be doing as public problem solvers today and in the future. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening. You can find more on our website at herity-school.org.